0: Reading this morning from Mark 16, 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another,
1: Thanks, Laura. Good morning. morning. This has been a bit of a difficult week for America. On Monday, we celebrated our country's independence, and then during the week, there were a number of terrible shootings and deaths. I think we as a country are in mourning. We're in shock in some ways. We especially need to pray for those who feel most vulnerable right now in our country. Blacks and those of other races. Policemen. Others that might feel especially uh, vulnerable, and we need to do what we can to work for justice. But it's times like this, I think, that make us realize we are all vulnerable to death. Much of our lives, we can kind of push it out of our minds and And keep death at bay, it seems. We think we can, but this, weeks like this, I think, make us realize we are all vulnerable. I have the privilege as a pastor of doing quite a few funerals. Each one is unique, depending on the unique person. But the biggest difference in them, they kind of fall into two categories. One is is the kind where people are afraid of death and they fear it and they are overwhelmed by it. But then there's the other one where people are living in light of the resurrection and the family is living in light of the resurrection. I did a funeral, probably my most difficult one I ever did, I would say, was when I was pastoring in Lake Tahoe area and a man named Stan had died. So his girlfriend that he was living with asked me to do the service and so we had a little service out by the lake and he had, as I heard the story uh, left his family, left his wife for this other woman left his two kids and came to Lake Tahoe spent most of his life gambling he had broken his home he had uh, left a wake of devastation behind him they, the girlfriend wanted a time of open sharing, and the only nice thing that I heard in any of the sharing, really, was this. You could sure count on Stan being at his stool at the corner of the casino. Yeah, he was real faithful to be there. <laughs> Here's a man who lived for pleasure, lived for himself. He essentially died alone, his family alienated, his Daughter and son there, but at a distance, angry, frustrated, leaving this path of destruction behind him. Other funerals, however, though they acknowledge the horror of death because death was never God's plan, are a time of celebration. Because their lives were lived for eternal purposes and their deaths became an opportunity for celebration, for joy. What was the difference? What makes us live and die in a way that brings joy to God and joy to ourselves and our families? Well, the key is living in light of the resurrection. You know, when the power goes off, and we all experience that every once in a while, where the power goes off and it's at night and it's dark and we're scrambling to find candles or flashlights or some some way to get a little light into the darkness... But then when the lights come back on and everything's bright again and you can see clearly, it's a wonderful thing. The resurrection is meant to be that for us. It's meant to be the light going on so that all of a sudden it all makes sense and we can see everything clearly. Pray with me. Lord, today as we talk about the resurrection, about the light going on, and what that means for us in our day-to-day lives, I, I pray, Lord, that our eyes would be opened. That we might not just have a different view of death because of the resurrection, but we might have a different view of life and how we live it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read again these verses, first three verses, as the women come, Jesus has died, the Sabbath has passed, and now it's Sunday morning, and they come to the tomb. And just want you to think as I read what must have been going through their minds as they come to the tomb. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, probably Jesus' mother, Mary, and Salome, They bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? As they come, what are they thinking? Well, they're thinking they're going to find death, a dead body. The sun is up, it says. The sun has been turned on, so to speak. But all they see is a tomb. All they're looking for is a place of death. Uh, Jesus has died and the relationship with him has ended. He is gone. They cannot relate to him anymore on earth. Their plan is to honor him as best they can by anointing his body with spices. But that was simply to try to fend off the stench of death for a period of time. For them, their relationship with Jesus is over. The best they can do is try to cover up the smell for a bit. But death has won. You see, as we look at... At death, from a human point of view, it's a reality we all have to face sometime. We, we all are confronted with it. Death is a shadow that hangs over every human being, over every human life, because for every one of us, we know death is coming, and it will win. Pigpen is a uh, character in the Peanuts comic strip. And death is like... Pigpen's dark cloud of dust that follows him everywhere. As one writer described Pigpen, he says this, Pigpen is known for his perpetually filthy overalls and the cloud of dirt and dust that follows him wherever he goes. When he takes a deep breath to sing, for example, the dust rises briefly around him. He sometimes refers to the cloud that surrounds him with pride as the dust of ancient civilizations. He cannot seem to get rid himself of the dust for more than the briefest of periods. Indeed, in spite of his best efforts, it appears that he cannot stay clean. He is referred to in an early strip as the only person who can get dirty while walking in a snowstorm. (laughs) Such is death. See, death is a cloud that hangs over us all the time. It's there, and we can try to ignore it, avoid it, pretend like it's not there, but it is always following us. The author of Hebrews puts it this way as he describes our perspective on death. He says in chapter 2, verse 14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself, Likewise, also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And then listen to verse 15. And he, Jesus, might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Tremendous insight in that. He he says that all human beings are subject to the fear of death And are enslaved to that fear all their lives. Now, uh, many people would say, I'm not afraid of death. I don't even think about death. (laughs) Yeah, because we're like pig pen. It just kind of follows us everywhere. And we try to ignore it, but it's there. Every human being, I think, carries that cloud that's around them. It's always been true. The ancient Egyptians, you can go to Egypt today and you can go and visit the pyramids, these amazing tombs of the Egyptians. And when they buried an Egyptian, they would embalm them to try to keep the body going as long as possible. And and we found inside these tombs, little miniatures of the things that they enjoyed doing. If they were farmers, there were little farm implements and all kinds of things that related to farming or whatever they did. They would put these things in the tomb to hope that somehow that they might be able to continue life as it was on earth because of this terror, this fear of death. Now, we may say, well, we're not like that. We're we're much more sophisticated. (laughs) You know what? I think our culture is more afraid of death than perhaps any other culture in history. I think we're one of the worst cultures ever at dealing with the reality of death. We try to ignore that dark cloud that follows us everywhere in a number of ways. One, it's mentioned in the scripture, but like the man that I did his funeral, Stan, we we sometimes will just choose to eat, drink, and be merry for what? Tomorrow we will die. (laughs) Death is coming, so I better make the most of my life here and live for pleasure. Get what I can out of life because pretty soon I won't have the opportunity. If you look at our culture, our culture is obsessed with exercise, with healthy diets, with trying to somehow maintain a healthy lifestyle. And we may say, well, I'm just trying to live a good quality of life. I understand that. That's good. It's good to exercise. It's good to eat healthy. But I think as a whole, our culture is so obsessed with it because it's mostly an attempt to fend off death. Now, they don't talk in those terms, but I think our culture is so afraid of death. If we can just somehow hold on to a quality of life that's really good, maybe, maybe somehow we can overcome death, at least in our minds. Another way our, we, we see a wrong handling of death in our culture is through our medical advances. Our medical advances have allowed us to keep a dying body alive somewhat longer than Former generations. But notice what's come with that this attitude of somehow we have to keep people alive as long as absolutely possible because death is this horrible thing that we fear. So we can keep a dead body alive, essentially brain dead body for a long time. I know of one family whose son died and is brain dead and yet they're physically keeping his body alive. They've done it for years and years. Some might say, well, that's just because we value life so much. Really? Is that Life Is that really why we do it? Or is it because we're so terrified of the finality of death which ends the relationship and we're so afraid of letting go and we don't know how to handle it because it's out of our control? So out of our fear of death, we're enslaved to try to somehow overcome it. Think of the incredible industry in our culture of wrinkle creams, (laughs) anti-aging lotions, plastic surgery, Botox, all in an attempt to fend off the visible signs of aging, which I think is driven, ultimately, for most people by a fear of death. I really appreciate my wife's comment about this. She says, I'm proud of my wrinkles. I've earned every one of them. (laughs) And again, this is, I just think, true for a few people, but The whole issue of when someone dies, a loved ones, and and you have a viewing, at least for some people, I think the reason they want to see this body is they want to be able to say, look how peaceful they look. Look, death's not so bad. (laughs) What drives that? I think it's a fear of death, often. I think our culture is so confused about death and so afraid of death, we don't know what to do about it. What about euthanasia? That seems different, right? It's actually choosing death for ourselves or for someone else. There's a new movie out. I haven't seen it, but I've been intrigued by reading the reviews. It's called Me Before You. A disabled man falls in love with someone he hired to take care of him, but he's got this plan to kill himself because he doesn't want to live a disabled life. And uh, spoiler alert, (laughs) the movie glorifies his choice in the end, though he falls in love, he puts himself first and takes his own life. One commentator talks about it this way. The real worldview-rending thing here is that Will's choice, a word we hear so often these days in the company of subjects such as abortion, sexuality, and gender, is presented not as selfish and cowardly, but as sacrificial, brave, and even noble. We're supposed to applaud his willingness to spare the woman who loves him the agony of caring for him. And indeed, the audience I saw the film with did applaud at the end. But when we presume to decide who lives and who dies, even when it comes to ourselves, we're both playing God and violently, irrevocably demeaning the life that he gives us. Thus, the movie's determination to romanticize assisted suicide sends the chilling message to others who suffer similarly that their lives aren't worth living either. That they, too, should just kill themselves. Hebrews 2 said, those who are, because of the fear of death, are held in slavery all their lives. I think a A view like this movie portrays of glorifying assisted suicide shows being enslaved to death and inability to handle it in a healthy way. And so we try to be masters of our own fate and take it into our own hands. So what do we do about death? We try to make it smell good. We we pretty it up, or we ignore it, or we try to avoid it. But We do not handle it well in our culture. And in the end, death always wins. So as the women come to the tomb, they are looking at death in a worldly way. They're expecting the stench. They're trying to cover it up. They know relationship is over. But what does it mean to live in the light Of the resurrection. How do we as believers, how are we to live in a different way than the world around us? Notice verse four. First two words looking up. (laughs) I think that's very significant. Looking up. You see, they begin to get a different view. The light begins to go on when they look up, when they're not looking down in the tomb, when they begin to look up and they begin to see something differently. Having looked up, literally, they saw. They saw that the stone had been rolled away, though it was extremely large, entering the tomb. They saw a young man sitting on the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, don't be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who's been crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. When they look up, they get a new message. Their point of view has changed. They see life differently. Death is not central anymore, but life and light is. The stone is rolled away. The certainty of death is gone. The obstacle of, to death, the obstacle of life to life is gone. Everything's different now. So what do they see? They, they see this angel. A young man, it says, dressed in white. Clearly an angel of light. And they give this pronouncement, Death has not won. Jesus is not here because he is alive. The cloud of death hanging over them is gone. It's gone. They're seeing things differently. And what's the message from the angel? Jesus is alive. And and he gives three commands to the women. It's very interesting as you look at these commands. The first one is this. Do not be amazed. You see, to be amazed is to see something that is so out of the norm for you that you are in shock. You are in awe. This is not what I'm used to. And they are, right? They're amazed. They're in awe. They're so surprised by seeing this young man and Jesus not there and something's different. The stone's rolled away. This is not according to life as I know it. And that is being amazed. Amazed. But notice what the angel says. Don't be amazed. Why does he say that? Of course they're amazed. Why does he say don't be amazed? I think he's saying this. Yes, this is new to you. But this is the new normal. This is the new reality. And so get beyond the amazement and begin to see that this amazing thing, the resurrection, is now life for you. It is the new norm. It is life. And therefore, get over the amazement. Live in light of it. Don't be amazed any longer as if this were unusual. Our daughter, Jackie, gave birth on Thursday to our first grandson. We have six granddaughters, but She gave birth to a grandson, her first child. Yeah, it's awesome. And how foolish it would be for her to say, wow, this was amazing. What an amazing birth. Isn't this great? Whoa, what an event. That's great. All right, Ben, let's live life like we always have. Right? No, things are different. It would be kind of strange if she said, Whoa, I don't, whoa, everything's, this is weird. I mean, I have to change diapers all the time, and he wants to be fed, and wow, you know, to treat it as if it's somehow unusual. No, this is the new normal, right? <laughs> and you live life in light of that. Well, that's true with the resurrection. Everything has changed. When Jesus rose from the grave and the resurrection happened, don't be amazed. Live life in the reality of this new normal. Don't keep trying to live life the old way. So the angel says, don't be amazed. And then secondly, he says, go and tell. Go and tell. Since this is the new reality, since this has impacted all of life, Jesus really is risen. Go and tell you have a whole new purpose in life you don't have to live in a way like the world around you does you don't have to live trying to somehow hang on to whatever life you have here because death is hanging over you all the time death has been wiped out death has been conquered amen amen and so we don't have to live in light of death we live in light of the resurrection and it changes the way we live our lives The light's been turned on. The fear of death is removed. And if Jesus has risen, then we have a sure and certain hope of our own resurrection in Jesus Christ. Therefore, our purpose, our calling now is to go and tell. Tell the world Jesus is alive. Jesus is Lord. Jesus lives. And let me just say, in a world that is so crazy, we are to be people who bring justice to a broken world and do all we can to help bring redemption to this world. Let me just say, though, our primary job is not to engage the culture or resist the culture or change the culture. Our primary job as believers in Jesus Christ is to declare that Jesus is alive. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is risen. We don't need to fear death. You don't need to fear political powers. You don't need to fear who might get elected. You don't need to fear persecution. You do not need to fear death or anything associated with it because Jesus is alive. That's our message, brothers and sisters. So we are to go and tell Jesus is alive. And notice part of the message, go and tell who? The disciples, first, (laughs) the disciples and Peter. Now, in the book of Mark, what's the last we saw of the disciples and Peter? They were running for their lives. They were terrified. They denied Jesus. Peter denied him three times. They were living in the fear of death, right? Right? But the message the angel gives the women is go and tell the disciples and Peter. Jesus wants to meet them in Galilee. He has a whole new purpose for them. You see, a huge part of our message is that message of forgiveness. No matter how much we've betrayed our Lord, no matter how much we've broken our covenant with him, no matter how much we've sinned, no matter how much we've rebelled or run away or denied him, The message is this. Go and tell the world that they can be forgiven, that they can be reconciled to God. The resurrected Christ stands before you in your shame, in your sin, in your failure, in your fear, and calls you to follow him. He is calling you into relationship with him. That's our message. Go and tell. Jesus is alive. You see, we can live in light of the resurrection. We do not have to be amazed. This is the new reality, and we can go and tell. So in light of the resurrection, I can live for Christ. I can die for Christ because death is no longer something to be feared. I can see life and death in a whole new way the light's been turned on the pigpen cloud is gone for you and me brothers and sisters so will we live in light of that reality and that's really how mark ends his book now i'm just going through verse 8 but let me say this in your bible probably verse 9 through 20 is in brackets Because we have many, many manuscripts, early manuscripts of the New Testament, and most of them do not have the the verses 9 through 20 in it. So all we really have is probably the end of Mark is verse 8. Now, some have thought, well, um, you know, what do we do about that? Actually... Asher next week will teach verse 9 through 20 because there are some things we can glean from it. But if you, if you look closely at it, the theology is different than the rest of Mark and really the rest of the New Testament parts of it. It, it just does not fit in the book of Mark and grammar. So it's clearly added on later because some people looked at verse 8 and they said, it can't end there. <laughs> so they added later an ending. Some scholars think, yeah, it couldn't have ended in verse 8, so we must have had another ending that got lost. But the trouble is, we don't have that. So either we lost the real ending, or Mark intended all along to end in verse 8. And I believe that was Mark's intention. But listen to verse 8. Isn't this an odd ending? I mean, this is strange, right? The angel just said, go and tell! Tell the disciples, tell Peter. And here's how the book ends. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now why in the world would Mark end his book there? No one's actually seen the risen Christ yet. (laughs) And what we get is some terrified women that just saw an angel... And they're afraid, and they do not do what they were told. They don't speak up. What is going on? Well, see, I believe the Gospel of Mark was written by Mark to encourage Christians who are going through a very difficult time, who are living in a hostile world, who are going through persecution. And he's trying to encourage them to live out their faith in the midst of that. And he's writing to people who did not see the risen Christ. Like these women at this point did not see the risen Christ. And they have a choice. Will they live by fear or by faith? And I think Mark is highlighting that with a big yellow marker for you and me and for future generations and past generations to read this and go, wow, am I like the women And will I live by fear or faith? Will I believe the testimony that's been given to me by the angel, by the scriptures, by the disciples, by history, that Jesus has risen from the dead, even though I have never seen the risen Christ? Or will I choose to live in fear? Will I live out my faith or will I choose to withdraw in fear? I think that is the challenge that Mark leaves us with. By leaving us with this big question mark in verse 8, uh, let me just say another reason why I think that's true. In the middle section, right at the very center of the book of Mark, where that, there's that admission by Peter that, that, that confession that Jesus is the Messiah. Remember, he said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ the Messiah, the Son of God. And at that point, Jesus begins to teach him, well, if you're going to follow me, it means taking up your own cross, dying to yourself and following me. And as he explains that, only Mark of all the Gospels ends that section with verse 34 and following where it talks about you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And he ends with verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation the son of man also will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels i think that's mark's heart i think mark is passionate that we believers would not be ashamed of the gospel that we would live in light of the resurrection, that that we would take this message and be willing to die if we need be to Christ, but at least be willing to be rejected for him. Will you be willing to die to self, die for Christ, or will you be ashamed? So I think he ends the book of Mark with verse 8 because he's saying to each one of us, will you, will I, Like the women, live in fear and not go and tell? Or will we live in faith, proclaiming, going, telling the world about this great news, the light of the resurrection, Jesus is alive, he is Lord, we need not fear death or anything else in this world and be willing to die for the gospel. Now, we know the end of the story, right, from the other gospels. The women did ultimately overcome their fear didn't they? (laughs) And they went and told. But the way Mark ends his gospel forces us to confront our own lives and our own fears. Are we living in faith, going and telling, or living in fear, ashamed of the gospel? Now, as I studied this passage this week, I, I came under a lot of conviction. There's part of me that can justify a lot. I can say, well, sure, I talk about the gospel publicly all the time. I preach about it. I get to share the gospel with seekers fairly often. But I had to ask myself, well, what about those who I fear might reject me? Who may not want to hear? Do I go and tell? And I have to admit, I'm pretty timid. I'm pretty fearful. And my prayer for myself is that God would help me live in boldness and confidence in the light of the resurrection. The philosopher Bertrand Russell, an atheist, said this, he wrote this, Echoes of cries of pain reverberate in my heart. Children in famine, victims tortured by oppressors, helpless old people who are a hated burden to their own sons. And the whole world of loneliness, poverty, and pain make a mockery of what human life should be. I long to alleviate the evil, but I cannot, and I, too, suffer. In the end, Bertrand Russell collapsed into despair. Not long before his death at the age of 97, he penned these words. There is darkness without, and when I die, there will be darkness within. There is no splendor, no vastness anywhere, only triviality for a moment, and then nothing. Why live in such a world? Why even die? That is life lived without the light of the resurrection. But Mark leaves us as believers with a choice. Will we live in the fear of death like the world around us and therefore live selfish lives, trying to deny death, trying to hang on to what we can of this life, trying to hang on to living as long as possible, Or eating and drinking and be merry because we're going to die anyway? Or will we live in light of the resurrection? In light of a risen servant king, a risen Christ who is Lord over everything. And will we live by faith in the resurrected Christ, believing he has conquered death? And if we really believe that, and if we live in that light, then think what that means. It will mean that we'll live in peace and joy and hope and anticipation with no fear of death, and we can give our lives away in service to others. We can pursue justice in our world. We can live by unselfishness, boldly going and telling. Why? Because the resurrection light of Christ has been turned on. And for us, brothers and sisters, the resurrection changes everything. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you rose from the grave. You conquered death, and therefore we need not fear. Though death is an enemy, it will be the last enemy conquered, and we have the sure confidence that when we die, we'll step into eternity with you. May we live in that light in a way that causes us to boldly proclaim, to go, and tell that you are alive. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.